1: into action. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Anne Beal. Anne is an animal advocate who has written extensively about the human-animal bond. She's also the CEO and founder of Beal Research, a strategic market research firm in Chicago, Illinois. Anne conducts both qualitative and quantitative market research around the world and has written the following books, Heartfelt Connections, How Animals and People Help One Another, Reading the Hidden Communications Around You, A Guide to Reading Body Language in the Workplace, Strategic Market Research, A Guide to Conducting Research that Drives Businesses, Cinderella Didn't Live Happily Ever After, The Hidden Messages in Fairy Tales, and most recently, Heroic, helpful, and Caring Cats, Felines Who Make a Difference, Anne received her MS, Master of Philosophy, and PhD degrees in Social Psychology from Yale University, In her spare time, Anne fosters cats for various shelters in Chicago, explores the many restaurants of the city, and runs along the lakefront. Anne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, my first question for all of our guests is, how did you become passionate about cats?
0: Well, I've always had cats as pets I had my first cat when I was 10 years old, and I've always found them extremely interesting. But I got really passionate about cats when I became a community cat caretaker, and that occurred when I had a huge rat problem. I lived in Chicago, right in the city, near a lot of restaurants, and could not get rid of these rats And someone said, oh, you know, you can become a feral cat colony caretaker. And I became one of them for a a group called Treehouse. And I became fascinated by these feral cats that I took care of. And I ended up writing the book Community Cats, A Journey into the World of Feral Cats. So that's sort of a lifelong interest in cats, but a tremendous interest in community cats as a result of taking care of them.
1: So I had the pleasure of reading Community Cats, A Journey into the World of Feral Cats, and I thought it was a great book and a really fascinating read. And it was really interesting to me uh, from the aspect of how things are done a little bit differently in Chicago than in some other areas. The basics are still the same in terms of we get the cats all spayed and neutered, and we ear tip them. And then there's a process of Reacclimating them to the outside, either relocating them to a new location or returning them back, which returning them back is pretty much the same for everybody across the board. But I found it interesting in how you would return them back. And in Chicago, you have sometimes used like outdoor litter boxes and that kind of thing, where in New England, where we've done trap new to return, we don't do that. I just, I find the regional differences really interesting. How were you trained? Who taught you all this? I, you mentioned treehouse. Were they the ones that taught you this sort of protocol for bringing cats into your backyard? Yeah,
0: they had a certain protocol because in the city there was some, you know, concern that sometimes feral cats will, you know, use the neighbors' uh, yards for. You know, their litter boxes. And so there was some concern that maybe in small kind of plots of land where feral cats would become a nuisance. And so that was, I think, the objective was that that you provide a litter box now, to be honest, I provided a litter box probably for the first, I don't know, few months. And then the cats kind of did their own thing. We never had any complaints from the neighbors at all. And so, you know, I think it sort of varies. You know, I also live, though, in a space where there was a lot of land for them to run around on. So I think in some of these other areas, there was more of a need for the litter boxes.
1: Of course, I can't have a conversation with you without talking about rats. And for those <laughs> that are maybe new to community cats and to trap new to return or return to field, why is it that cats will help get rid of the rats? Well, I think it's basically sort
0: of ingrained in them. I believe it's something that they have been doing for pretty much centuries. I believe that ancient Egyptians got pretty clued into that concept and used them to protect the royal granaries. I think that they are hunters, frankly, and they like to hunt and they are most likely to hunt other land mammals that are smaller than them. And it's a play for them to some extent. I think it's, they kind of enjoy it. And I was pretty impressed. I know a lot of people say, oh, community cats don't really kill rats. Oh, no, they do. I've seen it with my own eyes. My cats were extremely effective at getting rid of the rat problem that I had, and they were often lightning quick, and I would, you know, sometimes I'd come out, and then I'd see them rushing in one direction, and then I'd watch them walk towards you know, me with a, a rat hanging out of their mouth. So they absolutely uh, were doing the job. <laughs>
1: That's impressive. It's very impressive because yes, I too have heard that you know if they're fed by somebody else regularly and once they get sort of spayed and neutered, they get a little soft. And in some cases too, the rat population's pretty substantial. I went in to speak to a health official one time promoting a trap new to return program in their community. And the first question out of their mouth was, well, what are we going to do about the rat problem? And I thought, oh, I feel like I have to become a rat expert today rather than a cat expert. So I sort of danced around that one a little bit because it does continue to plague a lot of urban areas. In Chicago, though, how successful or how do you get a sense that the rat problem has really been impacted by community cats or is it just not to scale enough?
0: Well, I would say that those of us who have community cats would say that we don't have as much of a rat problem as other people do in other areas, so I many colony caretakers claim that they used to have rat problems and no longer do. I do think it does vary with the the cat. My absolutely you know best ratter was my community cat named Eloise. She was amazing. Some of the other cats in the colony not so good as her. And I actually brought her indoors eventually. So she lives with me now indoors. She's doing absolutely no ratting anymore. And I think my rat population was, you know, she had made a huge dent in it. (laughs) But uh, I think that we don't have as many feral cat colonies as we could. And I'm not suggesting we put, you know, a feral cat colony on every square inch. But I do think there are areas where there could be a huge impact with a colony that it isn't there. So...
1: I'm having a vision of like the community cat patrol, like every every street has a crossing guard as well as a community cat patrol or something yeah. like that. And That would be, oh, yeah. would be pretty funny. You know, there aren't many books written about community cats. So what really gave you the desire to embark? I mean, writing a book, from my perspective, is not an easy task at all. And why did you choose to focus on community cats?
0: You know, I really wanted to give them a voice. I think that they have You know, a tremendous contribution that they make to the communities that they're in. And I wanted to give them a voice. I wanted to argue for them as a group that is often, you know, frankly, treated poorly and and viciously attacked in some areas and and killed. Uh, Many cities, as you know, had policies where they would trap them and kill them. And they do have a function. And when they are part of a, a trap, neuter, return program, they are an important part of the community and they do take care of mice and rats and things like that. And so that was my objective. I, um, I looked actually for books on community cats when I wrote it and didn't find very much. And I wanted to make them very real and give them personalities and make them, they weren't just stray cats. They were cats that had personalities. And they had, a, you know, some some stories that could be told about them. And there are many stories in that book, as you know, about all well, the different lives that they touch and the people who are involved with them. And I think they're quite endearing.
1: So you have embarked on a new project that's just been released, a Heroic, Helpful, and Caring Cats, Felines Who Make a Difference. Uh, tell us a little bit about this book. So this book is an
0: effort to talk about how cats help us. And I think we often sort of have stereotypes of cats as being very aloof and disconnected. And whether I say dogs uh, have masters and cats have staff is kind of an old saying. And I really believe that cats connect with us just the same as dogs do, and are just as helpful and connected to us as dogs are. And so I wanted to show how cats help us. And so it's a book about stories of how cats have changed people's lives. There are actually three chapters about community cats who have made a huge difference in three communities, but also in three different people's lives changed who they are as people, changed actual communities. And I really wanted to share the stories of how cats can do lots of things and we, that we don't really even think of. And that was my effort. And then we actually did research, my firm did research about how cats help people. And we collected data about how intelligent people think their cats are and how connected they are to their cats and in what way their cats help them.
1: Did you ask them questions about their perceptions around community cats too?
0: We sure did, actually. We asked them whether they had heard about TNR programs and we described TNR programs to them and then asked them, would they be supportive of TNR programs and how Did they feel about TNR programs once we told them about them and some of the benefits? And we learned that about two-thirds of people are very positive about TNR programs once they learn about them. Most people have not heard of TNR programs. About half of people had never heard of TNR programs. About 20% had heard of it but didn't know much about it. 18% knew something about it, and 11% were pretty familiar. So not high awareness, but once we give information about TNR programs, Programs. Two thirds of people are actually very supportive and very positive about these programs. And then when we actually gave them further information, like, hey, did you know that cats, you know, in our programs are vaccinated and are not at risk to transmit rabies? And this is a program that you know stabilizes and reduces feral cat populations and things like that. We found at that point. When we asked how positive they were about TNR programs, 78% of those we surveyed said, yeah, I'm extremely positive about them. So they suffer for lack of awareness and for lack of information, really. But most people are very in favor of them once they understand them.
1: That's really great to hear. I mean, it's not great to hear that we have so much more work to do in terms of getting the awareness out into the public sphere. It's funny. I was at a conference for podcasters and we had a table there at the conference and everybody came up and They would ask us questions about what's TNR and what's community cats. And usually at the animal welfare conferences, when we have a table that people will come up and they'll go, what's a podcast? I don't know what that is. And so it's just showing that our, you know, a language is so different in different spheres.
0: Yes, it is. What is interesting though, is that it is the case that we have increased awareness quite a bit. So, you know, back when I did this Community Cats book in 2013 is when I wrote it and it was published in 2014, only 5% of people were very familiar with it at that time. Well, that's actually more than doubled. It's 11% who are very familiar now. So we are increasing awareness and it's definitely increased over time. It's just not to the point where everyone's heard of it, but it's we're getting to the point where people are starting to have a significant awareness about it.
1: Is there a specific percentage goal in your experience that you would then say, oh, is, you know, relatively saturated or as far as we can go, is it 50%? I mean, statistically, what have you seen that would call it to say, hey, this is good?
0: Well, I think what I'd like is for the the numbers to flip. So I'd like for 10% of people to say they hadn't heard of the program. And, you know, for 18% of people to say they had heard of it, but didn't know much about it, you know. (laughs) So for it to kind of be that, you know, the majority of people go, Yeah, I know something about it. I just don't know much about it. So that's where we kind of get into consciousness at a level where I think there's going to be much more acceptance of it. But if you talk to people about a program they know nothing about, have never heard about, you Have going to spend a significant amount of time educating them. So that's where I would like the numbers to go.
1: That's great. Providing a safe and nurturing environment is every cat caregiver's top priority. The American Association of Feline Practitioners understands your cat's natural behaviors and aims to supply you with tips and resources to help you provide the very best care for your cat. Join our cat community by visiting catfriendly.com and you can sign up for our newsletter. This website was designed to be a place where cat caregivers can receive credible and trustworthy information from veterinarians on a variety of topics just for cats. Learn ways to understand your cat's unique characteristics and behaviors, how to keep your cat healthy, and the importance of routine veterinary care. Did you know that August 22nd is National Take Your Cat to the Vet Day? Make sure you visit CatFriendly.com to find out why it is important to take your cat to the veterinarian for his or her annual checkup. Get tips on how to make it a less stressful experience for you and your cat. You can also search for a cat-friendly practice near you. Don't wait. Visit CatFriendly.com today. Does your cat have dazzling eyes and an effervescent personality? Is your adopted kitty the most beautiful in your eyes? The Cat Fanciers Association wants to invite you and your cat to join its new Companion Cat World program. Since 1906, CFA has had a deep love and respect for all cats, no matter what their breed. Companion Cat World is part of our mission to make all cats' lives better with love and celebration. You and your cat can join for just $13. $13. Plus, your cat will be showcased in a CFA gallery. You'll get exclusive discounts on cat food, toys, and supplies, plus a customized membership card. You'll get to attend events and the chance to compete in the household pet category in our regional, national, and international cat shows. And a portion of your fee will benefit homeless cat rescues and shelters throughout the world. Check us out at www.cfa.org. Is your organization struggling because your out-of-date shelter software doesn't support your organization's needs? Do you struggle to communicate with your fosters and to get videos, photos, and updates on the animals easily? Did you know that Dubert does much more than transport? If you haven't been back to Dubert in a while, you definitely need to check it out. Their rescue tube functions allow you to easily get video from fosters and staff, and their foster space module is revolutionary in the industry, allowing you to manage hundreds of fosters while easily communicating with them through text email, and messaging. Dubert is the only place where you can manage fosters, transports, social media, and even your own online store all in one place. Whether you're trying to manage 10 animals or 10,000, Dubert provides much more than any shelter management package does for managing your organization at scale. Check it out and sign up for free at www.dubert.com, where they make animal rescue simple. In your research, when you're working with other clients and that kind of thing, are there specific topics that you work on that focus on the emotional issues? The one thing I see a lot with regards to community caretakers, and maybe this is because of the coronavirus and COVID-19 and all of this, is there's so much emotion going on and so much passion. Is the animal welfare world a more passionate group than other fields that you might be doing research in, or is everybody's like this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say that we actually specialize in the role of emotions in behavior. That's one of the things that Beal Research does. So we spend a lot of time thinking about emotions and how emotions influence what people do. I would say that with any area of passion, there's a great deal of emotion. And so, you know, if you're passionate about stock cars or passionate about you know certain types of trees or a rock band or or cats you know you probably have a very high level of emotion about it. I do think though that cats touch us in ways that are very significant, and I think that Cats are a little bit more subtle, I think, in their expressions towards us and it's particularly in some of their expressions of love and their interest in us is a little bit more subtle. And I think that to some extent, when you connect with a cat, you know, it's a very special thing and it, it's something that doesn't occur quickly and it's something that is earned, so to speak. And so... I think there's a a very emotional space to this. And I also think that cats are very misunderstood. I believe that we live in a culture where it's acceptable to say, I hate cats. I can't tell you how many people, you know, when I said I wrote a book about cats, they would say, I hate cats. You know, I don't think you would say that about dogs in this culture. If I wrote a book about dogs, I don't think people would say, oh, I hate dogs. I think it's socially unacceptable. And so I think cats are very misunderstood. And I think people who are passionate about cats kind of know that. And that's, part of the reason why I wrote this book, quite honestly, is because I think they are very misunderstood. And so I think that's where sort of some of this emotion comes from.
1: Can that emotion be detrimental to us in some of our work?
0: I would say that when we assume that we are right and other people are wrong, then we start to get into a place where we're not really understanding the issues. So I would say if we are passionately feeling we have to protect, you know, community cats lives and we're passionate about believing that they're misunderstood and passionate about believing that people are out to get them. And frankly, there's some level of paranoia among some of the colony caretakers about people wanting people are going to get their cats, you know. I think that when we start to get to this place where I'm right and you're wrong, we can get into some very scary grounds. I think, you know, we have to understand some people are afraid of cats. Some people perceive, you know, the cats as a nuisance. We have to understand what it is that they're objecting to and what it is they're responding to so we can argue you know, why they shouldn't be afraid or why, you know, we can do something to address a nuisance issue. I think when we sort of say, well, you're just anti-cat and, you know, I'm not going to listen to you, then we start to really, I think, put our cats at risk.
1: And that comes from a neighborhood level as well as at an organizational level. I mean, we should be collaborating as organizations. And I know there's been a lot of stress over the past year with regards to having spay neuter services stopped because in many communities, because they were deemed not essential. So there's a lot of anxiety of kittens being born, that cats needing assistance, not being able to get it, just not knowing. I mean, that's the hardest part about community cats is that oftentimes we don't know what's going on with those cats and we love them. We care for them, but we have to let them go because we do love them and we do care for them. We have to let them do what they want to do, but we don't know. So it's this hard conflict that goes on. And we've just gone through one of the most difficult years, I would say, in the industry with regards to spaying neuter resources. And, you know, how can we recover?
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think it's, it's important and we have to work collaboratively and we have to work with our communities and we have to ask for favors and we have to try and understand the perspective of others. And I think with community cats, you're right. We have to let them go. And I believe that's one of the things that, you know, is most sad. I think for me, when I look at community cat, Facebook pages and whatnot, and people say, oh, you know, this cat's been with me a while and he's missing and I'm convinced he's dead and I'm convinced he's been hurt or run over by a car or whatever, terrible anguish that somehow this person has failed this cat and say, you know, these community cats, they live in a certain space for a while and then they move on. And that's kind of how they are. And we can't sort of beat ourselves up. We have to be really understanding of what they are really like as a species and what their behaviors are like.
1: I think the hard question, too, is we don't know what the cat really wants. I mean, we know what typical feral cat behavior is, and we know Mm. what domestic cat behavior is, but it's not that black and white. I mean, there's a a lot of gray in there. And so then the question is, you know, am I making the right decision, putting the cat back? Am I not? Should I be bringing the cat in? And I mean that's why I'm a firm believer of the whole spay neuter being as aggressive as possible with regards to spay neuter because then your population numbers are down and your choices are fewer because right. you have fewer cats that you have to make these choices for. So maybe those decisions are easier if you have to only do it ten times in a month rather than a hundred times in a month, and then you might feel better about that. So you know obviously your end number at the beginning needs to be as low as possible but incredible stress and anguish over what's I'm determining the destiny of this cat. And am I the right decider? Or do I know what I need to know in order to make that decision? And that's incredibly scary for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, it is, I think. And the reality is, I don't know that we, you know, and that we have all had anguishing choices that we've made towards pets, indoor and outdoor ones, you know, and you wondered, did I do that? Did I wait too long? Did I not wait long enough? You know, what should I do? There's no handbook for this stuff. You know, you kind of go with your gut. And I think that we're beating ourselves up a little bit too much, quite honestly, in the feral cat community. I think we're very hard on ourselves and we're trying to correct a problem and we're trying to address many, many lives, and it's not easy. And I think we have very high expectations.
1: We're also trying to change community behavior and attitudes. Also,
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, yes.
1: (laughs) Above and beyond just the physical of what we're doing for the cats. But, you know, there are other countries where community cats are looked at very differently.
0: Quite so. And
1: treated in a different way. And I think accepted with a lot less anxiety and stress. And I think that we need to change our community cat culture, I guess, is sort of what I'm looking at.
0: Absolutely. And we also need to change the attitudes that are held by some folks that, oh, you know, the cat's going to stay at the location. I'm just going to move on and leave the cat behind. It'll be fine. Well, no, that's not really appropriate. You
1: know? Right. And no, yeah. when you have kittens, yeah, you need to get them spayed. You know? Exactly. So folks are interested in picking up a copy of Heroic, Helpful and Caring Cats, Felines Who Make a Difference or any of your other books. How would they do that?
0: Well, they can be found on Amazon. That is the easiest place to go. So you can just go on Amazon and put in the name of the book, or you can go on annbeal.com. That's A-N-N-E-B-E-A-L-L.com. And all of the books are there and you can click on links that go to Amazon, but those are the best locations to get them.
1: Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today?
0: Yeah. I actually wanted to share some data about how cats have helped people. And we asked people about the connection they have with their cats that have been in their lives. We asked actually a survey of 1,500 people in America recently about how intelligent and how connected they are with their cats. And not surprising, they see their, their cats in their life is extremely intelligent and is extremely connected. But we asked, what specifically does your cat do to make you, to help you? And the most popular response with 72% of people said that the cat makes me feel happy. The next one is the cat provides me with companionship at 68%. And then the third one is at 65%. The cat loves me unconditionally. I don't know about you, but anyone that makes me feel happy gives me companionship and loves me unconditionally. That's a pretty special creature.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's it's impressive because you were just talking earlier in the show about how we are the cat's staff, but then people really do feel like they're getting love and affection from their cats. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely more than that. And I appreciate that. I'm I'm glad because we also know that many people have cats in their homes where the personalities of the cats maybe aren't what they necessarily expected they would be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we've had to adapt and grow with them. And, you know, clearly a bond has developed and that's fantastic.
0: That is one interesting thing about cats, though, is that they will make us a little bit bend to them and we will have to give them some space. And so there's a a different type of relationship that develops, but it's one, I think, that can stretch the person in a very good and positive way.
1: I agree. I agree with you 100%. Well, Anne, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I hope we'll have you on again in the future.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review.